1: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2.
0: Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. As always, if you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you can get the live stream, the podcast, the daily email, all my social media links, make it easy for you. So it, we, we gotta we gotta have a conversation among friends. I hope we can have a conversation among friends on this divisive topic. Trump and the others. I noticed something the other day. Uh, I put up a video on Instagram talking about Joe Biden screwing up inviting the university of georgia football team to the white house they didn't do it after the team won the national football championship they waited until may to do it by then the team's summer schedule was already locked in and they had a conflict and they can't go it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with the fact that the white house waited so long the team already locked it in and can't go and Privately, I think they would tell you they were a little bit insulted that everybody gets to go to the White House, but they're making the University of Georgia show up with the basketball teams from, I think, LSU and the University of Connecticut. Uh, the winners there, they are a, were a little bit miffed, I think, that they didn't just get to go as the winners of the college football national championship. They got to go with a bunch of other college teams and unrelated sports. But also, they technically do have a scheduling conflict. And I pointed out, you know, Biden won the state by less than twelve thousand votes, and uh, he should probably take this a little more seriously. And had a number of of people comment, almost all of them senior citizens, saying, uh, "You you lost me when you said Biden won the state. He he they cheated, they stole it, Fulton County ballots, blah 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 blah." People are still like, it, 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 I, at this point, I understand it doesn't matter what I say. You will believe the election in Georgia was stolen or in Arizona was stolen. And it doesn't matter if Jesus Christ himself shows up and tells you, no, it wasn't stolen. They won it. Uh, You will think that it must not be Jesus. It must actually be the Antichrist um, because the real Jesus would know the truth because you saw the videos and Sidney Powell and blah, 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 blah. People are just convinced it was stolen. And they're willing to go with Donald Trump a second time who couldn't keep it from being stolen the first time, even though he was president of the United States. And now Joe Biden is there. It's hard to have civil conversations or rational conversations about Trump and the GOP with Donald Trump's hardcore supporters because you're either with him or you're against him. You are allowed no nuance. You all know I don't particularly care for the guy. I supported him in 2020, but that's not enough because I didn't support him in 2016 and don't care for him. Uh, there's a level of disloyalty. It is very cult-like and they get insulted when you say that, but it really is. When I criticize the DeSantis campaign, which I have done for the late rollout, et cetera, his team gives you a pass and says, those are fair criticisms. You criticize Donald Trump, you are allowed no criticism. So I realized going into this, It's very hard to have a conversation on this, but conservatives need a wake-up call on what's going on. In the 2002 midterms, Donald Trump endorsed about a bajillion, 25 gazillion candidates. From dog catcher to imaginary, Donald Trump endorsed candidates. But when you're the dog catcher, of podunk georgia population 50 and they're all republicans and the dog catcher's running unopposed it really doesn't matter but when you're running for the united states senate in pennsylvania or arizona or governor in either of those states in a contested race your endorsement really matters and donald trump endorsed dr oz and and mastriano in pennsylvania they both lost Endorsed Blake Masters and Kerry Lake in Arizona. They both lost, and yes, Kerry Lake lost. Spare me your outrage over the truth. And Donald Trump barely spent any money on them. In fact, in 2022, the painful truth is that Donald Trump raised $161 million for his Super PAC, $161 million total raised. And he only spent 14.8 million to help the Republicans take back the Senate. In fact, Donald Trump, let me just put this in perspective for you. In 2022, Donald Trump spent $3 million trying to beat Brian Kemp, the incumbent Republican in Georgia for perspective Donald Trump spent more money trying to defeat Brian Kemp in Georgia than he spent in any other race, Republican or Democrat. He spent more money trying to beat Brian Kemp than he spent against Liz Cheney. He spent more money against Brian Kemp than he did against Raphael Warnock. He spent more money against Brian Kemp than he did against John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. He spent more money against Brian Kemp than he did against Katie Hobbs in Arizona. Donald Trump spent 3 million dollars trying to beat Brian Kemp and blew it. And now we're at May 15th of 2023, a year before the main contests of the Republican primary. And he's already spent 11 million dollars against Ron DeSantis, more than he spent on almost every race in 2022 combined. Now, you can say, well, he's spending the money on himself. Now, he's spending it to beat up a conservative governor. Here's the interesting part of it. Ron DeSantis has helped Republican state parties around this country raise millions of dollars. Donald Trump has made the same Republican parties spend money on himself. The RNC itself has paid Donald Trump's legal fees. He spent his super PAC money on uh, the E. Jean Carroll sexual assault trial defense. He spent $3 million for the Mar-a-Lago documents case. In fact, he spent $16 million in 2021 and 2022 on himself. In October and November of last year, the Republican national committee spent $720,000 in donor money to pay for Donald Trump's legal expenses. We got one guy spending money to raise money for the GOP, and one guy raising money from small-dollar donors spending it on his legal fees. DeSantis went to Illinois and Iowa on Friday and Saturday. He was helping those parties raise money. In fact the GOP fundraiser in Cedar Rapids, Iowa sold out. It's only the second time in five years that the Cedar Rapids, Iowa party sold all of its tickets. He also helped raise uh, $30,000 for the Marathon County GOP in Wisconsin. In Birmingham, Alabama, he helped the party raise $700,000, broke attendance records. In Manchester, New Hampshire, DeSantis also broke ticket sales there. They had to stop selling tickets. They were sold out. He helped them haul in $4.3 million in fundraising for state and local GOP organizations across the country. $4.3 million DeSantis has helped Republican parties across the country raise to beat the Democrats. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is making these parties pay him money and pay his legal fees, and he's using the money on himself. Donald Trump ran uh, campaign ads or or solicitations raising money for Herschel Walker's campaign in Georgia and then didn't actually spend a lot of money on Herschel Walker. He did the same thing around the country. He uses the names of other people he's endorsed to fundraise and say, give me money and I'll help these candidates, and then he uses the money on himself. The grift is getting too good for Donald Trump. He can whine and raise money. Winning means he's got obligations. And this should be a concern for the conservative. Forget the Republican Party. But if you're a conservative and you've got one guy who's raised $161 million, barely spent any of that money on himself or on others and spent most of it on himself, and you've got another guy who uses his own money to go help other Republican parties raise $43 million, or $4.3 million. This should be a red flag for you. Do you want to win, or do you just see it as a fundraising uh, opportunity? Do you want to help the Republican parties win around the country, or do you want the Republican parties to pay your costs? This is going to be a problem moving forward. Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, They're using their money to help Republican parties around the country grow their fundraising. Donald Trump is using his celebrity to get local Republican parties to pay him money. At some point, these parties have to have money to win elections, to do ground game operations, to do get-out-the-vote operations. In fact, the Trump campaign is opposed to early voting. The Trump campaign to this day is opposed to early voting. Donald Trump says he wants same-day voting. The Republicans are going to lose if they concentrate their efforts on same-day voting, as opposed to doing what the Democrats do with ballot harvesting in early elections. In some states, it's totally legal, and the Republicans are sitting on their hands saying, Donald Trump doesn't want us to do this, that he won't give us money to spend on it, and you lose. So the problem for the GOP is, do you want to win or do you want to lose? Do you want to whine or do you want to win? Because Donald Trump is whining, but he doesn't seem to be winning. He seems to be, I mean, the man has spent more money attacking Republicans he considered disloyal than attacking Democrats. And now he's running against DeSantis from the left. I don't know if you know this. Mark Caputo, a reporter, did an interview with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is against six-week abortion bans. He does not want national legislation either. He doesn't want a national 15-week ban, and he doesn't want local bans on abortion. If you're a pro-lifer, that should give you pause. It should give you concerns. Donald Trump doesn't want to fund or defund Medicare, Medicaid, or reform them at all. He's running to Joe Biden's left on the issue. Joe Biden has come out and said he's willing to work with the Republicans to reform some of these programs to make them survive. Donald Trump is now going to Joe Biden's left. He is with Bernie Sanders on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid preservation. That, as a Republican, should give you pause. 25% of the Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump. 25% of the GOP is, it's either Trump or I'm taking my football and going home. That's what they said, at least in Georgia. 25% voted for David Perdue, 75% voted for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp still blew Stacey Abrams out of the water. A lot of those people actually stayed in and voted. What's happened is that Donald Trump brought a lot of people to the GOP who were not really Republican voters, they weren't really voters, they were disaffected. And Donald Trump inspired them to come in and these people have Donald Trump's back. They're not Republicans, they don't show up at Republican events, they're hardcore Donald Trump supporters. And they might walk away if Donald Trump is not the nominee. But the Republican can still win even if they do. The question is for the 75% of you who are open to other candidates, Are you at least willing to concede that running to Joe Biden's left on Social Security and Medicare probably isn't smart? That running against pro-life positions to maintain the pro-life voters isn't smart? Spending more of your money on your legal fees and your issues and your Republicans uh, that you oppose than against the Democrats probably isn't smart. Bleeding Republican parties dry for your own benefit instead of helping them raise money probably isn't smart. Trump is about Trump, not about the party, not about the nation, not about your future. And you got to decide if you're going to hit your wagon to that or maybe find an alternative who is about the party, who is about the future, who is about the country, and is about the ideas on which Republicans can persuade people to stick with them. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from and Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets, the highest quality, incredible craftsmanship, with just unmatched softness, 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference. And I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling brand sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something of substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot or in the, during the summertime and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the winter time. I love bowl and bread sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews right now. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bolandbranch.com. That's BolandBranch B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Whether you're in Buffalo, New York, or Los Angeles, California. First Liberty can help your business grow. If you need access to capital and other lenders have been giving you the runaround, First Liberty might be able to work with you. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family knows how to get big businesses or small businesses to become big business. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. We're talking $750,000 and more, though. If you need access to that kind of capital, you're buying a building, building, a building, growing a franchise, buying a franchise, firstlibertyga.com. Firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're fit for their program. Now, we got to move on. Uh, I will tell you, Democrats are looking at the map for 2024. This is something you've got to think about. Uh, For 2024, the Democrats are very concerned about the Senate map because there are a number of states where Republicans have done well. Uh, For example, West Virginia, Republican state, Montana, Republican state, but Democrats control them, Arizona even, uh, and Ohio, pretty Republican state, and also Pennsylvania, swing state Republicans have done well in, but for Trump picks. And the Democrats are openly saying that they intend in 2024 to do what they did in 2022, to try to help Trump's candidates get the nominations in key areas because they believe they can beat trump candidates just like they did in 2022 where a lot of trump candidates weren't very good candidates and went off message democrats are hoping against hope that carrie lake runs in arizona for the senate it looks like she just might they're pretty sure they can beat her there and i think they're probably right Uh, the problem is they've got guys like peter meyer in michigan Uh, peter meyer was the republican congressman from michigan three He voted for Trump's impeachment, Uh, the Trump supporters rallied, they booted him out in the primary, and the Democrats were able to pick up that seat. The Democrats, you will recall, poured a lot of money into the Republican primary to help Peter Meyer's Republican opponent. The guy won, Peter Meyer lost, and the Democrats picked up the seat. Uh, Joe Kent out in Washington, they did the same thing there. Uh, helped him get the republic. Helped him advance. Beat the Republican. Then they beat him in the general election. There was a jungle primary. There it was a little different, but the same setup applies around the country. That's what they're doing. They're trying to find Republican candidates who sound and act like Trump, who Donald Trump supports. The Democrats will pour money into their races and hope that Republican voters will, in 2024, do exactly what they did in 2022. Put bad candidates who don't relate to general election voters up. That's their hope to pick up the house and hold the Senate. In fact, the Republicans in the Senate are already talking about their prospects for 2024, and they feel comfortable in Montana, West Virginia and Ohio, because those are states where Republicans, even Trump does well. They have the potential for Pennsylvania and Arizona as well. They could pick up five seats easily, but not if Donald Trump is the head of the party. Because general election voters are tired of him. They'd rather stay with Biden. It's your choice, Republicans. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson, the phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we got to talk about the debt ceiling. It is still not resolved. Here is the ever-obnoxious Congresswoman Katie Porter. No doubt the public does not want these type of cuts, but if these cuts are attached to it and you're a trained lawyer, one of the many things in your background, do you think the better option would be for the president to invoke the 14th amendment to raise the debt limit if it came to that?
1: I'm sure the White House is in the business right now of trying to think that through, to understand what that tool would look like. It's not something that we've done before. I do think the best path forward is for Congress to come up with a strong solution here, for us to do
0: our job on a bipartisan basis. But the 14th Amendment exists for a reason. It is there, in part, to make sure that this kinds of politics and these kinds of games are not played,
1: that the United States meets its obligations. So I think it's a backstop. I don't think we're there yet. Yet, But I'm sure the White House Counsel Office is very, very busy this weekend taking a look at the 14th Amendment.
0: The fact that anyone with a straight face could treat the 14th Amendment as some tool that has never been used before, never been used by any president, and in fact was even dismissed as an unconstitutional action by Barack Obama, you would think perhaps they shouldn't be treating this with a straight face but they don't care for all of this talk about uh, authoritarianism on the right the authoritarianism would be trying to use the 14th amendment i'll explain this but first got to get you to the deputy treasury secretary on uh i think it was cnn this weekend
1: i want to play something that speaker mccarthy said back in January on this very issue.
0: Why wouldn't we sit down and talk, and especially with something as serious as debt, but as serious as a debt limit, why would you want to
1: wait till the end? That was four months ago, and here we are without a deal in hand. So if the threat from default is, is so dire, why did the president wait until this month to have real negotiations about how to and where to have spending cuts in order to avert default? important to remember the president didn't wait. The president outlined his own plan for what we would do in terms of fiscal policy in March, where he talked about reducing the debt by $3 trillion by cutting things like subsidies to oil and gas companies. The speaker wasn't able to get a plan through the House until the end of April.
0: All uh, right. Um That's a pretty disingenuous spin that they didn't wait at all. They actually waited until the Speaker was able to get through a plan. They didn't think the Speaker could get through. In fact, what happened is the Democrats didn't think the Speaker could get anything done, and they would wait for it to blow up in his face and then say, aha, you have to do a clean debt ceiling increase, and he got something done, and now they don't know what to do. But now there's this 14th Amendment. Uh, Michael McConnell was a judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals he left to become a law professor for reasons that, that are still somewhat nebulous. He's at Stanford. Uh, he's also at the Hoover Institution there. He was thought of as a Supreme Court pick uh, but wanted to get out of it. I, I, I guess he wanted to make some real money. I, I don't I don't know, but he's a brilliant scholar and he's got an op-ed in the New York Times essentially saying this is insane. To think that you can use the 14th Amendment, which doesn't apply to a, pr- give the president the unilateral power. Let me just read you part of this. Begin with the constitutional basics. Article 1, Section 8 lists the powers of Congress. The first clause of Section 8 provides that Congress may lay and collect taxes. The second clause provides that Congress has the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. These clauses are absolute. The executive branch cannot impose taxes or borrow funds on its own authority. Together with the power over spending, these powers are known as the power of the purse, which belongs entirely to the legislative branch. These provisions have pried a place among Congress's powers for a reason. Before the glorious revolution of 1688 and the English Civil War, the Stuart monarchs asserted the power to tax and to borrow without parliamentary approval, which effectively meant the power to rule without Parliament. The result was not just autocratic rule at home, but also periodic defaults on the royal debt, astronomical interest rates for government borrowing, and ultimately civil war. Our framers did not wish to recreate the Stuart monarchy, and the first two clauses of Section 8 reflect that aversion. The power of the purse may be the most fundamental element in our system of checks and balances. The debt limit is nothing more than an authorization from Congress to borrow a certain amount up to a certain limit. The debt ceiling is not a restriction on what would otherwise be the president's ability to borrow it's an authorization for the executive branch to borrow up to that ceiling above that no president may go the idea that the 14th amendment which just says the validity of the public debt of the united states authorized by law shall not be questioned uh, was to repudiate the idea that the north was responsible for confederate debts but also to make it clear that uh, if somehow Democrats were to take over Congress after the Civil War, they couldn't uh, default on the federal government's war debts. They would still have to pay the pensions of the Union soldiers. That's all it was about. For Democrats to try to find some novel legal theory in the 14th Amendment and say, the president can unilaterally do this, all they need to do is stop and ask themselves a basic question. Would you want Donald Trump to have this power? I mean, this is the problem for Democrats. It's the problem Barack Obama created for the Democrats. They started doing a lot of these things by executive order in the Obama administration trying to expand powers, and ultimately what happened is they expanded Donald Trump's power because they didn't think he could get elected. Donald Trump could get elected in 2024 with a bad recession and people blaming Biden. He could do it. Do they then want Donald Trump to have this power where they can't restrain him? No, of course not. They, they wouldn't want that. But they never think that far ahead. They, they don't think about it in this way. So the reality is that the Democrats are trying to find novel constitutional powers that even Barack Obama rejected in 2011 to say that they can allow the president, the unilateral power, to spend money not appropriated by Congress through the act of borrowing. And anyone who knows the basics of civics, the basics of the Constitution, should know it's absurd, but they don't care because the Democrats, for all their bellyaching about Republican authoritarians, they're pretty authoritarian themselves. And the problem here, and this is what Michael McConnell gets into in his op-ed in the New York Times, is that the markets themselves would respond even before the courts. It would cause catastrophic meltdown in the bond market if the president tried to do this, because everyone knows it would probably be nine to nothing before the Supreme Court, rejection of the president doing this, and those bonds would be worth nothing. It would cause a huge problem. The bond market itself would go into turmoil if Joe Biden tried to do this. But the Democrats do not care. They just don't like that the Republicans won and they got to negotiate with them. That's the bottom line. Now, let me go to the phones here. 877-973-7425. Mike, you're going to be up next on the show. Welcome.
2: Hey, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Great show. Sure. If I can, you know, I, my concern and listening to a bunch of different talk shows and then podcasts on left and right and I'm married to a flaming liberal <laughs> but is that it, it's it so easy to dismiss Trump in this next election and, and and think that he's not gonna win because he didn't win last time but what cost him what cost the midterms mostly to me the midterm disaster was Roe v. Wade and trump was doing what the right wanted him to do but there's got to be some middle ground as we found successes in some places uh, in order for women's rights not to be completely trampled on you know you can't really mandate morality you know you it, it, it's just hard to do and it costs every time it costs you but you know those sins are for us to answer for before God, not before a Congress or a you know Senate or whatever. And I think that Trump is probably too easily dismissed by several networks—not not left-leaning networks, but right-wing leaning networks—as not the guy that can get us over the finish line. But I because of the midterm results, but I think the midterm results were strictly based upon. A rally cry for women, mostly college age. I'm from Cobb County originally, and Kennesaw College changed the dynamic, the voting of Cobb County forever, because you've got these young people that are, you know, you know how smart you thought you were when you were 18, 19, 20 years old. They they're voting, and uh, I think that cost us more than anything. I think Trump's policies and decisions uh, were so good for this country. I think people can see that now. I just think we need to stop dismissing him as a loser to Joe Biden, again, if he were to win the primary, and he probably will. Well, you know, well, I you know Mike, I,
0: I would I would respond to you in a, in a couple ways. One, uh, you, you mentioned Kennesaw and Cobb mm-hmm. County, Georgia, and the, the students there, except in Georgia, which passed a six-week fetal heartbeat ban and is the swingiest of swing states at this point, the Republicans were swept back into power having passed a six-week fetal um, heartbeat ban. Not only that, but the member of the state legislature who authored it uh, got reelected in a district that Stacey Abrams won and that national Democrats poured more than a million dollars into his district to try to defeat him because he authored the legislation and he won. Uh, in Ohio, another fairly swing state, it now seems solidly Republican, and it, too, passed a six-week fetal heartbeat ban, and the Republicans were able to win there. Now, if, based on your logic, Donald Trump were the nominee and abortion is it, don't you think they would be held to pay by the women of America who would argue legitimately and, and reasonably that Donald Trump's the reason Roe v. Wade died because— He appointed Amy Coney Barrett, he appointed Brett Kavanaugh, he appointed Neil Gorsuch, and those votes are the ones on the Supreme Court that caused Roe v. Wade to go. If so, you probably don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee because Donald Trump would be a fixture on this. He can say, though, now that uh, six-week bans are bad, except the six-week ban in Georgia worked just fine. In Florida, do you know where it polls? It polls 63% of the public support the six-week ban in Florida. In Ohio, it, it was just fine. Um, in North Carolina, the Republicans are going to override the governor's veto and pass an abortion bill there that, that works. And the Republicans now have a supermajority in the state legislature, despite uh, Raleigh-Durham, despite Duke, despite University of North Carolina. Now, where Republicans handled the abortion issue badly and didn't have an answer, yes, they did badly. In Michigan, they did badly. But it wasn't just that. They also had terrible candidates who campaigned on cultural issues. And by the way, those are the candidates Donald Trump picked. Every one of Donald Trump's supporters, all the all the candidates Donald Trump picked in Georgia lost, except for Burt Jones, who wasn't going to lose anyway, given his money, his name, ID, and the state separate from Donald Trump. But every other one of them lost. In Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, Dr. Oz, Donald Trump candidates, they both lost. In Ohio, Uh, J.D. Vance won, but not nearly as well as all the other Republicans who supported the six-week abortion ban in Ohio, and they wanted bigger margins. In Arizona, the Republicans picked up the majority of the state House and a majority of the state Senate, a majority of the congressional delegation, the state treasurer's position, and several others. They just happened to lose all of the races in which candidates were endorsed by Donald Trump. Abortion didn't affect any of those other people. It just affected Kerry Lake and Blake Masters. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, there are certainly places around the country where abortion can play a role in college towns and in some suburbs. But the Republicans won the New York congressional delegation. The Republicans did well in parts of California and the suburbs of Los Angeles, and even the suburbs of Sacramento. The Republicans did okay, despite the abortion issue. I don't think you, you, you. The left wants you to believe it's all about abortion. But the data just doesn't add up to it being all about abortion. It just doesn't add up when you actually dive into the races. But there is, in fact, a common pattern around the country. In swing districts, in swing races, where Donald Trump's candidate won the Republican nomination, they tended to lose. And in states where the candidates were pro-life... But weren't Donald Trump Republican candidates? They won. It wasn't an abortion issue. It was a who got Trump's endorsement issue. And the ones who did tended to lose in the swing states. Now, I got to tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the three pack. You can get it. I actually used it this weekend uh, when I was at the resort I was at because the room I was in had a fireplace. And someone had clearly used it at some point in the past and it smelled kind of smoky. And the Eden Pure Thunderstorm wiped out those odors for me and for the hotel. I felt like they should give me a discount, but I didn't ask them for one. You can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than two hundred dollars by going to Edenpuredeals.com. Edenpuredeals.com. The discount code is Eric E-R-I-C-K. On the front page of the website, Eric E-R-I-C-K. You go there, you put in Eric, you get three of these. They're air purifiers. They're filterless. You don't have to get a subscription. They use electrostatic plates. You just wipe out on occasion the, the dust and the pollen and the like. But also they're odor eliminators. They produce ozone. They ionize in the air. They attach to the particles that cause the odors. They wipe them out, and you don't smell the odors. You don't need to mask them with essential oils. Just get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, and it'll wipe out the odors. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, you put in Eric, you get three of them for less than $200 for the upstairs, the downstairs, the basement, the RV, the travel bag, wherever you need them. EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Eric. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson. I gotta play you some audio. Uh, This isn't a good look. This is from Representative Comer from the House Oversight Committee to Maria Bartiromo on Fox.
1: We have people that wanna come forward, but honestly, Maria, they fear for their lives not only are the Biden lawyers and the Biden White House intimidating them, the media is trying to intimidate and discredit them. And I think if you look at the Rasmussen poll, you know, seven in 10 Americans are very concerned that Joe Biden's involved in a a public corruption scheme and they wanna know more information. Seven in 10 Americans strongly support the work that our House Oversight Committee is doing investigating the Biden influence peddling. And we just need to get some cooperation from uh, these different deep state bureaucracies that are standing in our way. Uh, this is absolutely extraordinary, and it is stunning that some people are missing that you need to prove this. Uh, who in the White House is intimidating these people? Do you know? I do know. Uh, we're saving that for a later time, uh, but I can tell you one thing that a lot of people don't know. When when I issue a subpoena to a bank or to an individual, the second I issue that, Jamie Raskins gets that. And when we get information in from the bank or or from any individual, they make two copies, one for the majority, which are the Republicans, one for the minority, which are the Democrats. And my biggest problem with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee is they're acting as a criminal defense attorney for the Biden family. Uh, Not only are they not working with us, they're obstructing
0: every step of the way. Now, I don't know if you heard the one key nugget there, but the whistleblower has disappeared. I just don't think it's a good look for the GOP to have come out and made all these allegations about the Biden family and now to over the weekend say, well, the whistleblower disappeared. We can't get the whistleblower. Uh, yeah, you can say that, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, the person's running in fear of their lives, except what Comer says is that it's a someone within the deep state. Uh and they they know how to disappear and have disappeared and and maybe it's because of work or something. I just I I want to believe the Biden stuff. I actually do think the Biden corruption stuff is true. But to come out last week, make the statements about all the stuff about the Biden family and their corruption, and then this, I'm sorry, but I just think that um it's a bad look for the GOP to make those salacious claims, and then say, oops, our bad, Um, we don't have the whistleblower. Ah. All right, when we come back, the border, actually, the captures were down, uh, the crossings were down, the Biden administration wants to take credit, except it's actually a judge in Florida who should get the credit. Okay, round two, name something that's not boring.